Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I am Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting the BS out and embracing the good in our lives at church and beyond. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years, and we haven't burnt out yet. I have pastored in primarily Presbyterian churches, uh, urban, rural, uh, big city, inner city suburb, uh, and most recently have been serving as intentional interim pastor in UCC congregations. And I have been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum. Basically, if they hire organists, I've probably worked for them. So today we're going to talk about summer, the most wonderful time of the year, question mark. Um, and I think we have to begin with, I think it's a confession and absolution. What? Is, that, is that what I, I heard, Pastor Bill? I, I thought Christmas was the most wonderful time of the year. Um, so the confession I want to offer up as we begin our conversation today, Sarah, is <laughs> is um, there, there's just a little bit of jealousy uh, on my part as I read the Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds of, of the parishioners who are in this lovely place in Europe or that lovely place in... East Asia, or you know, wherever, tasting scotch at a castle in Here Scotland. Here in St. Louis, in the drippy, humid heat. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Where, where, if I'm lucky, I'll make it to West County Mall. Um, it's just not the same, and and <laughs> no, I feel a little jealousy, and so I want to just confess just, that up front. You know, you know, and, and, God forgives. Uh, <laughs> and we, I'll try not to post too many pictures of the Cotswolds when I'm there. Not we, too many, we, just, just a few. We live in the hope of forgiveness <laughs> again and again and again. So let's talk about summer in the church. And we're going to talk about some upsides and some downsides of the summer and the strategies that we have been working with uh, for over the years to help us live into those downsides and live into the upsides and make them you know, hopefully, hopefully work for us. And the downside that we're starting with is that um, church has left the building, <laughs> aka they are not here. <laughs> I, I think where I've run into this reality the most are in those congregations where uh, the congregants are fairly affluent and can afford to travel or have a second house somewhere or or are in jobs where they're traveling anyway. So, hey, why don't we just make a, a vacation trip out of it? We'll, we'll be in Germany for a week of business and then we'll go play uh, in Bavaria for two weeks I or something like that. I feel like if like you're that. in Florida, you have a similar problem where like, you know, half your congregation is only there for half of the year and you just have to be okay with that because that's how it is. It's not going to change. I I interviewed years ago uh, for a Presbyterian church in Estes Park, Colorado. And it it was very clear in their paperwork that you could not take vacation from the 1st of May until the end of October because that was their time. Oh, uh, interesting. Because people came to them. That's when people were there. In vacation versus in most churches, if you didn't take vacation over the summer, you would be... You're doing something wrong. That's right. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, but that's the rarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, The other other reality, you know, our, our life in St. Louis... It's a miserable place to be as the summer progresses. Oh, it's so Midwest, and, yeah. and 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 I understand why people want to be anywhere else but here, mm-hmm. particularly in August. Yeah, um, yeah. Which yeah. I think is when everybody should go to Michigan or Northern Wisconsin personally. <laughs> but heard it's nice. I digress. So, what do we do when there are much fewer people 
in our worship services, especially like our, our weekend, Saturday, Sunday worship services. Some of the strategies around that just have to do with changing space or changing the appearance of the space. Mm-hmm. If you have worship chairs, you can take out some of the chairs, you can rearrange them so that it doesn't look like where, where a big empty go? barn. Yeah, yeah, a big empty barn. The sanctuary, our big empty barn. Right. Um, or, or you can worship in different spaces. Some churches, you know, worship in their chapel or they, you know, might have an outdoor service or uh, meet in the fellowship hall and have breakfast together, d- depending on the kind of, ser- uh, depending on the kind of service that you do and the kind of church that you're in. These might be options so that it doesn't have that same feeling. Cause, you know, we all know that if you've got 30 people in a room that seats 300, wow, that feels different than 30 people in a room that seats 50. Like, and people and it's the same never want to sit close together, it seems. They mm-hmm. want to scatter over the entire space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you lose, mm-hmm. you completely lose any sense of critical mass. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it just doesn't feel, I think in some churches, even with that really spread out quiet, space, it can feel okay because the service itself is a really quiet, contemplative service. But at the same time, like most most church services aren't like that. And it just no. feels desolate. And I'm thinking though, um, I recently went to an evening service that was very quiet and magically everyone was sitting up at the front. I was absolutely astonished. And then, you know, there were like 15 people there. And I wonder if it was just like over the years that habit has happened, or maybe it was because the priest didn't use the sound system, or I don't really know, but people were not spread out. I bet the priest Fantastic. was Fantastic. Yeah, I, I maybe. Can't, I can't imagine <laughs> didn't, anything didn't else with that. <laughs> it, it, it is a problem, and, and I think we just have to realize that, and it invites creativity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and hopefully your location has the potential for such creativity. I think one of the big challenges here is if you've got fixed pews. Yeah. Um, because you can't, you know, you can try and rope them off, but, but what I, what I find when I've tried to do that is it just angers people. You know, something I'm else, I'm also thinking about. A lot of churches will condense their services. If they have multiple services, they might go down to just one or two. Mm -hmm. Um, time changes. Time changes. Yeah. Especially if it's coordinated with like, um, you know, the, the end of the program year, it just is an automatic, like, oh, this, the Sunday after Memorial Day, that's when we, Go on summer that's schedule. Go on summer schedule. Yeah. Um, and then everybody shows up in their Hawaii shirts, uh, like magic. Um, and I think that it's it's um, also, it can be a really upside to like, by condensing the services together into one or two instead of more than that, um, it can be really great for the people who are there because then they get to know people who are sometimes in the other services. Correct. Because now, oh, instead of the 9 o'clock and the 10 o'clock service, you've just got the 9.30 service. And now you're getting to know people that you wouldn't necessarily have gotten to know and it's, it can be really positive it can and and I also have found particularly with a, an earlier uh, time service if your main service is at 10 or 10 30 and you move it back to to 9 30 or 9 um, people then have you know worship is done in an hour or so and fellowship time in 15 and minutes might or half an hour and they're they're out the door quickly because they're on to oh, all the quickly. other activities linger. and and no they don't they don't tend to linger some will mm-hmm. but but it just gives people more options um and and some will actually come to worship that might not because oh, I see what you mean. their events would already start so you know it's it's all contextual but if it's if you use some creativity with with timing or approach or space mm-hmm. or chairs if you've got them, yeah. uh, you you can create some different kinds of experiences for those who do worship. So that is our upside, which is that the church has left the building, but with so many people gone, you also have more breathing room, and breathing room one is just 
great for your soul. <laughs> you need some margin in your life. Um, but all that breathing room eventually can lead to a lot of creativity. It can. And, and I think congregations often, I, I wouldn't say expect creativity in the summer, but are not opposed to creativity in the summer in ways like if, if you took Advent and said, okay, we're going to do it completely different this year, they'd probably freak <laughs> out. No, if you took out. Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, well, Christmas Eve, but if you took the whole month of December and said, let's try something different this year, Ooh. they would ju- it would just hit the wall. Don't the mess fan. with that pageant, man. Right, right. <laughs> Whereas in the summer, people are saying, well, I'm I'm not going to be around that much or, or mm-hmm. I'm open to something different, um, especially if they're going to get me out a little earlier, perhaps. Uh, you and, know, I, and I feel like that. something about the summer is that it feels like its own discrete season. And so people don't expect or anticipate that a change that happens during the summer is now the the way things are, you know, Correct. copyright. Correct. Um, it's, it's more it's more that, oh, we're doing, we're going to try this thing and we're going to see if it works. And, and there's no pressure of like, oh, no, oh, no, they did that thing and I hate it and they're going to do it forevermore, Amen. Correct. Correct. And, and I think if that is spoken aloud, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're going to try and do some things uh, of, of an experimental nature this summer just to see how it goes. And, and mm-hmm. it may fail, uh, but we want to try and, and hope that you will enter into uh, your worship experience with that a spirit of openness. That seems to go a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, being just upfront and people. honest yeah. and, and not, okay, we're going to sneak some change on them and see how they like Ooh, that yeah. or not. It's just to, to <laughs> Let's say, see how they like that as a recipe for disaster. That's right. That's right. But if we say, hey, would you please join us It's like in when I this... chop up the broccoli really small and mix it in with the rice and my child is like, no, I can't. Now I won't eat any of it. <laughs> yeah. My parents used to tell me that cauliflower was mashed potatoes. Not uh, so. Not uh, so. It was not. <laughs> I still don't like cauliflower. Um, but but I, I think that invitation in is like, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're part of something. We're, we're, uh, we're part of an experiment. And for some people, that is... Exciting and, mm-hmm. and interesting. There, there mm-hmm. are a few that, um, you know, oh, any change is just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's going to be the case for those people whenever it happens and wherever it happens. You know, I'm thinking, though, of times that I've done something fun in the summer where it was still completely in line with a norm of the church. And I'm thinking of a time I did Bach in the summer series. So we had this fantastic vocalist who wanted to do Bach. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just do prelude and postludes that are Bach and call it a summer series. And you know what? Folks really loved it. It was that kind of church that a lot of classical music lovers, surprise, surprise, they hired an organist. I know, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it worked out really nicely. And it was it was fresh and it was interesting and it was something to look forward to. But it was completely normative in its own way. Yeah, no yeah. ruffled feathers whatsoever. One of the things that I found is is that sometimes connecting pieces over the summer, you know, the entire summer, people embrace really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, last summer, I used uh, the same book along with scripture for 12 sermons in a row. And and that's risky. I was thinking that was going to uh, potentially crash and burn. But what I found is people were saying, oh, I went and bought the book. I'm reading it. I'm oh, really nice. interested in this. And and I like this conversation we're having. So, so, you know, in this situation for a summer, that worked. I wonder if having that long theme... Like this summer at the church where Bill and I both work, we're doing a neighborhood theme and a theme of a book last summer. I wonder if that helps people plug in to a service even when they're not regularly attending. Like because it's for the whole summer, they know if they only show up three or four times, they'll still know what they're like signing up for. 
I, I think you may be onto something. And and I know 20 years ago when I moved from being a lectionary preacher to a series preacher, it was because I was preaching a series, which I hadn't done a lot, but I was maybe week four into uh, a series and a couple who I know had not been there for the first three weeks came up and said, oh my gosh, this is the best series yet. Uh, we really feel like we're part of it. And, and it, they weren't, they weren't just trying to lie because they mm -hmm. hadn't been around. Yeah. It, it really provided a connection point. They felt like they were part of a larger whole. They felt they were connected to the congregation even on those Sundays mm. when they weren't yeah, there. Yeah. And you can, you can talk if you show up for a Sunday into the service, you can talk with people about Oh, tell me about this other thing because you've got this framework for your coffee hour chat. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Be fantastic. Summer, if, if I'm preaching series in the summer, not just one big one, but, but small series, that's been a time when I've done things like the, uh, gospel according to Dr. Seuss or, or the theology of Mr. Rogers mm, or, yeah. or one summer I, I preached a series on the zombie apocalypse. And, and <laughs> those aren't things that I would normally do during the year. Uh, but in the summer, it was like, this is great. And I had adults say, Oh, we're here because the kids saw you were going to talk about zombies and wanted to come and listen. And so it, that, that I, I don't mean to be flippant with worship. It is still worship. It is still mm -hmm. to be taken seriously. Yeah. We are there to glorify God, but we can do it in, in ways that are, are perhaps more inviting than, than a programmatic year allows us to be. So we've got our upside of creativity and breathing room. And then we have a downside, which is that sometimes the summer can feel really listless, like there's nothing going on. And it might even feel like, wow, I'm doing all this creative, great stuff. And oh, wait, yeah, the church has left the building. And, and oh, that's kind of a bummer to do all this work. And then not very many people are there. And, you know, if you're creating stuff, it, it doesn't always feel good. It it, it doesn't. And, and um I, I wish I could say, oh, that never happens to me. But but it I'm just never does. disappointed. That's, I've reached perfection. Right. I, but but at the same time, if if the creativity that is being if 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 I'm enjoying the 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 creativity I'm trying to offer, um, if, if I'm excited about talking about zombies in ways that I would not have uh, ever thought of talking about, that keeps me interested. And, and, and I have to cling to that. Um, I'm going to grow through this, uh, even, even if there's only 20 or 30 people out in the, um, congregation. There, there's probably, it, it doesn't make any difference what I would preach on or what theme we'd be working on, uh, as a staff on the worship service. It's probably going to be 20 or 30 people that particular Sunday, regardless. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus yeah. could show up. We could advertise it and it'd still be the same <laughs> 20 or 30 people because they're on vacation. They're doing this. They're doing that. And, and so I have, I've had to learn to be satisfied with, okay, I'm excited about this topic. I want to explore you know, it. I want to give it. What you're my... saying is that the process. The process is the the like the important bit that you're you're doing the thing and you're doing the thing, and we can't control the results always, but the process itself is worthwhile. That's right. That's right. And and I don't want it to be so about me that I'm ignoring the 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 needs of of the people I'm serving or ignoring my responsibility uh, to to lead worship that is faithful and meaningful and uh, and hopefully transformative. Uh, I don't think any of us on a church staff can can turn away from that ever. But um, there are times where I need to um, I need to cling to 
I'm growing through this. Um, because if I'm relying on a response from the congregation, it's not going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. This is reminding me of my all-time favorite personality frame it, framework, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, which are about how people respond to inner and outer expectations. And it's really hard for some kinds of people for some kinds of people, which Gretchen Rubin call obligers, um, to not have that at our expectation. And it could just be so difficult to like find it in yourself, not because you don't want to do the thing, but because if you have other people relying on you, that's such a powerful motivation for some people. Mm. And so to me, if like that's the kind of person that you are, to me, it seems like you really need to lean into your relationships with your staff colleagues mm. and to lean into that kind of, um, feeling of obligation or um, responsibility, because then that can give you the motivation that you need instead of just like, you know, throwing in the towel and saying it's not worth it. And and hopefully you've got some staff colleagues that you can uh, lean into those relationships yeah, with. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're there by yourself. We hope. But, but I would also say that, that that's just going to be a challenging personality type for serving a church in general. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, yep. if you you're relying really good on bound, a congregation boundaries. to... Um, help you know you're okay, you could be in deep trouble because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. just, um, in my experience, in my experience, you don't often get that. No, uh, no, you don't. You may get little bits and pieces of it, but um, if if you don't have some sense of yourself and who you are um, and what you're about that you're comfortable with, yeah. the church isn't going to be a helpful place in, in providing that for you. Mm. So an upside of the summer, though, summer can feel listless, but all that space, all that, that gives you the breathing room, also lets you work on projects that you don't have time for in the program year. So I, um, in a previous episode, I talked about saving a ton of music organization for the summer. And yes, I am slowly but surely working my way through things because um, I just have so much stuff where I was like, you know, I'm saving it for the summer. I'm, you know, I have lots of things that I save for the summer because it's just like, yeah, this is this is when to get it done. And granted, I work, I'm a I work on a program year uh, as a minister of music. The choir is in season. The choir is not in season. And so I'm still showing up every Sunday doing music and um, having guest musicians and church church members doing music on Sundays. But I don't have the weekly rehearsal press. And I don't have that same sense of like, got to have an intro and benediction and anthem one and anthem two and, and, and I need to make all this cohesive and, you know, right. all of that kind right. of stuff. And how well did the choir know that thing? I need to, re- you know. There's a whole lot less going on in my life right now, and I just I have room for those kinds of things. The the choir robes have been washed, although that was a lovely choir member. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And I also know that you are trying to use summer uh, to to have some one on one conversations Mm -hmm. with with members of the choir. Um, And and for me, that's one of the things that summer does offer that different pace. I can go connect with people. on in a one-on-one way, have a cup of coffee, uh, a visit. Mm-hmm. That, that and often the they have more time for that too. Just doesn't allow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't ask people for coffee dates in December. That's not a good time. Correct, <laughs> correct. And, you know, and and unless they're you know posting pictures from Florence uh, and making me jealous, uh, they're they're usually pretty amenable to wanting to 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 get together. And and so I enjoy that time. So like, well, we can meet up for coffee and you can show me all the pictures and I'll hear all about it. And that's right. That's well, right. Only a little jealousy. Or I could carry your bags for you as you go through <laughs> Europe and sleep on the floor at the foot of your bed. Uh, you know, just to go along. Anything, please. Uh, we, we talked about uh, the, the reality that uh, outside of closing up church for the summer, uh, which, which is not a realistic option, you just have to deal with... Um, Smaller numbers and 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 people coming with different expectations, and, and that 
that's not a bad thing. And, and, and it, it, it can be easy to, you know, moan that, that they're traveling and I'm not, or, or I've, I've poured my heart into this sermon and, and, and nobody, nobody came to listen <laughs> to it. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, Jesus said, we're two or more gathered, I will be present. I thought and he said, we're two or three gathered, there's always a fifth. Yeah. Jesus no, said. where there's four Presbyterians, there's a fifth, is, oh. is what Jesus said. Yes. Uh, where, where, but but that, that fact that it doesn't make any difference how large the worshiping congregation is, um, you can still worship in ways that are meaningful, that bring God glory, and that build up community. And, and sometimes when the numbers are smaller, the, the benefit can be the relationships are stronger and more intentional than, than when the numbers are so big that it's just, you know, hi, 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 pass the peace, pass the peace, uh, shake hands at the door and, and people are gone. You don't get the richness of a bit more time with them. Um, the last few weeks, our numbers have not been huge in worship, but they have afforded me some time after each service uh, to connect with somebody in a way that I never connected with them here before, or or it, time just wouldn't mm-hmm. have allowed on a program year Sunday. And this is also something that you can do in the church service itself. Like we're, we've been doing some things in our services lately for our summer programming that involve sharing with each other and speaking with each other during the service or sharing with the whole congregation. And you, it's, I mean, it's kind of like having prayer requests. You can't really do prayer requests out loud if you've got 400 people. It's just, correct. but you can sure do prayer requests out loud if you're a small group of 15. And it's just kind of like playing, leaning into the strength of the numbers that you have and saying, hey, we can do this cool thing that really wouldn't work for a really big service. Let's lean into that and let's take it, not take advantage of it, but yeah, let's take advantage of, of where we are and live into the fullness of what we can do yes. as we are right yes. now. And, and taking that risk to, to try that different thing, um, it, it, it could explode. I mean, let's be honest. There's always that, that uh, possibility. But, but in my experience, more often than not, people get excited in ways they couldn't have anticipated by entering into Whatever that is. Last, last Sunday, we had them writing haikus as part of the sermon. And, and then folks shared, probably 15 different people shared the, the two mm-hmm. or three haikus they had written. Mm-hmm. And they were excited about that. It was that. fantastic. And, and, and you couldn't do that if you had hundreds of people. No, no, we couldn't, we couldn't have taken that time. And, and I don't think there would have been the willingness for somebody to stand up oh, and yeah. Say, hey, get a I microphone, put yeah. in their face mm-hmm. and share if the pace had been packed. Uh, yeah. But because it was a smaller number and people knew each other and maybe trusted each other a little mm-hmm. bit more, yeah. we could do something like that. So, so it's a balancing act. Um, and, but it, I think smaller numbers in summer aren't just to be bemoaned. So listeners, what do you think about summertime? What have you leaned into? What have you discovered in your journey through the summers over the years? Sh- share with us. We're at calledpodcast at gmail.com. And, and if you're going to be taking one of those tours around the coast of Scotland, stopping at all the distilleries, I am available to carry your bags. Just let me know. <laughs> calledpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> so... Do we want to talk about our reads of the week, Sarah? Oh, we do. I think you should go first because okay. you've got something very interesting. Well, I, I um, as, as I've told you before, I'm a bit of a Tolkien geek uh, and, and love 
The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but I've also gotten into all the back history, the Silmarillion and Book of Lost Tales and, and the history of Middle Earth, all those good things. And, and recently I, I picked a book off the shelf I've had there for a couple of years entitled Splintered Light, Logos and Language in Tolkien's World. The author is Verilyn Flieger, uh, not someone I know, but uh, I, I had read a review of the book and was interested in it. And, and it turns out that while the chapters are somewhat connected, it seems each one's like its own little uh, essay. essay. And uh, one of the essays I, I read over recently really caught, there was a place that caught me, and I just I want to share that. Um, the, the, the title of this essay is Fantasy and Phenomena. And Flieger does all sorts of things with, with language and, and different influences upon Tolkien. But then she said that, that one of the pieces that she believes is behind Tolkien is, is a sense that God is both the creator of light as well as God can be understood as light, and that humans as God's creation function as prisms refracting this light, and that in that refracting become creators in their own right. Um, she says sub-creators, not, not on par with God's creation. Uh, but, not creation but, ex nihilo? <laughs> no, no, we, we don't create ex nihilo. But, but I love this idea of um, the idea that we, human, we humans reflect, ref, refract God's light as prisms. And, and that that creativity leads us in all sorts of directions. And Flieger was keen on particularly the creativity that comes through our imagination. Uh, imagination around words that allows us to create new worlds or new aspects of this world in our creativity. And, and I'm going to chew on that image uh, for a while. I, 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 I love the idea that we are um, created in God's image. And this is a neat way to think of I just love the idea that we're rainbow makers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't that a cool concept? <laughs> well, and it's so interesting to me that it's um, – the metaphor here isn't of a mirror, that it's not reflecting back the exact likeness. Right. And it's not that a, a clear glass pane, God's light, God's shining light through just us, shines but through But that us. we are, are fundamentally doing something in and of ourselves, but that we were also made to do. Correct. Not only do we do something creative with that light flowing through us um, because that's just how we're made, but I think there's also a divine expectation that we're going to do something. Yeah, that we have been made to do this. Thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea of imagination for me, particularly around words and light, are powerful because I think that's a primary uh, way that the prophets speak to us. They invite mm -hmm. us to imagine a different possibility, not mm -hmm. something that's happened yet. Yeah, but to imagine the new. To imagine yeah. the new. And, and that new could be, hey, God's going to create a straight path in the wilderness to bring you home from exile. Or it could be, hey, you all have screwed up so badly uh, that the destruction is coming. And, and, uh, and that act of imagining either of those possibilities then gives us an opportunity to react to to uh, embrace walking on that straight path through the wilderness or to say, oh, maybe we need to change our individual and collective behaviors so that uh, we can avoid that potential imagined future. That's powerful. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff That's to chew on That's a lot of good there, here. yeah. So. yeah. So, so my read of the week is um, Becoming a Pastor, Forming Self and Soul for Ministry by Yako J. Heyman. And I'm assuming it's Yako because it's J-A-C-O and he's, um, I think, from... South, South Africa, I think. Um, 
it's a psychological take on what ministry is. So I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not planning on becoming a pastor, but I do pastoral kinds of things. He uses a lot of um, Winnicott's framework, who is a psycho, psychoanalytic um, scholar from the mid-1900s, and someone who was very concerned with play and how important play was for children and how important play is for forming who we are as people and being comfort, comfortable in who we are and not – like we need to be in relationship with other but not being codependent on each other. Heyman takes this framework and applies it specifically to ministry settings and what it means to be alone, what it means to be in relationship with other people, what it, what you need to have in your own self in order to minister effectively without being in unhealthy relationships with the people that you serve. And it was fascinating. I saw some flaws in myself as I was reading. I was like, oh, that's that thing that I do that's not so good. Oh, I need to, and so just really, really interesting. And, um, I think that it's intended as a seminary textbook, although it's a very easy, I mean, it's not easy read, but, you know, I bet most of our listeners are used to reading <laughs> stuff. So you'll be just fine. This is this is not not super dry. He's a good good writer. And it was just like, oh, this was really good for me to read regardless of whether I'm in seminary or not. And I think it was intended as a seminary textbook, but I think it's really helpful um, in, in self-examination and also just like seeing patterns in other people. So, so time on a swing set might be good for me each week. <laughs> Maybe is, is what it's suggesting. <laughs> what, what, what this, the memory this brings up for me is the pastoral care professor in seminary. When, when a couple at seminary got themselves in trouble, their relationship was in trouble, married or just a dating couple, she would often show up on their doorstep with a box of tinker toys oh. and make them sit down and play, because she said, you know, often. Couples get themselves in trouble when they've forgotten how to play with mm, each other. Yeah. That, that and families. dating yeah. is often play dates for adults. Yeah. And, and that we, we forget to play with each other. And it, it goes yeah, exactly to families. Huge. Just mm-hmm. uh, taking time to, to have some, some silly fun together, to run around together, to, to, to do some playing mm-hmm. together. So that's it for this week's installment of Called. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at calledpodcast.com, all one word. And this is uh, episode six. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And send us the link so we know we'd appreciate it. Thank you for spending this time with us. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, don't forget to cut out the BS and embrace the good.